It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. And welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the Bengals edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Jed Demusi, Local 12 sports anchor, reporter, and producer as the Bengals get set to take on the Cleveland Browns, both 0-3, and the Bengals coming off that tough overtime loss to the Green Bay Packers. And uh, Jed, uh, it, it is called the factory of sadness in Cleveland for a reason because it, it, it's all it's been for the Browns since they came back. But for both these teams, two of the uh, last, what, five winless teams in the NFL, may, maybe the best thing is this should, should end in a tie, but uh, somebody's got to win this. We'll talk a little bit further about it, but certainly not the way either team wanted to go into the first battle of Ohio for this year. No, there are still three shifts in the factory. There's no lack of production of sadness in, in Cleveland at uh, First Energy Stadium. So Deshaun Kaiser, the rookie quarterback, this will be the fifth different Bengals quarterback, or the fifth different Browns quarterback the Bengals have seen in the last five meetings. So the sadness is not ending. And the sadness in Green Bay watching that game, I knew you were there. We'll talk about the Browns as we go along here. Yep. But I want to I look back at Green Bay. You go up 21-7 and, and you think maybe that maybe they can hang on maybe they can get this victory and there were just so many little things in that game whether it be the the almost fumble in the first quarter right on the goal line there for the Packers that Drake Kirkpatrick picked up the the slip by Joe Mixon William Jackson the third not being able to get off the field to prevent a a, um, a 12, men 12, 12 men on the field which Carl Lawson ended up sacking Rodgers on the play Rodgers probably ran it because he knew there were 12 on but just some of those little moments in that game that really could have had the Bengals feeling really good coming into this one. Yeah, I mean, if, if you went into this year, um, you didn't circle that game as a game you were going to win if you're a Bengals fan, and truth be told, even if you're a player. I mean, they don't go into games expecting to lose, but that would have been stealing one back. I, I think realistically you thought that they had a good chance to be 2-1 and one after three games. 1-2 and two obviously isn't what you would have wanted to be, but you would have stolen one back. And you're right, it was a lot, there are some big things, and we'll talk about some of those big things. There's still some big issues with this football team, but you mentioned that just a hair here and a hair there, and the fact that Aaron Rodgers is just so good at creating, extending, and making plays. Um, the, the pass play he made in overtime, the Bengals jump off sides, he knows he's got a free play, everybody goes deep, um, they get out of alignment and coverage because of the offside penalty a little bit, and Wow, the guy makes a, a backyard play, a backyard football play, for goodness sakes. Um, those are the frustrating things because you really legitimately had a chance to steal one there. And and we talked last week about the, the criticism of Dalton and how it's not warranted, but you see that upper echelon of quarterback when you watch Aaron Rodgers as, as, a, as opposed to Andy Dalton. He is a tier above. He thrives in situations where plays break down. He thrives in those situations. And Andy Dalton just does not thrive in those situations. He needs great protection. He needs receivers to run proper routes. He needs everything to line up. And when things do, he, he can be a he can be a good quarterback. But Rodgers almost seems to to relish the opportunity to to extend a play and to make something happen. And, and that was on full display, really, in, in that game on Sunday. He had completions of 72, 51, and 41 yards. His other 25 completions went for a very pedestrian 149 yards. So he obviously hit some big plays. And really, it's been, it's been big plays. If there's, only, if there's one negative about the defense, and there hasn't been a lot negative. I mean, they had six sacks. They got a pick six. Right. For the most part, they shut down the running game. For right. the most part, they shut down Rodgers in the passing game. 
But if there's been one bugaboo, it has been they've given up some big plays. Those three plays in the Green Bay game, the Deshaun Watson 49-yard touchdown, the, the Jeremy Macklin 48-yard catch and run for a touchdown against Baltimore, um, for the most part, the defense has played well, but they've got to they've got to eliminate big plays because it's gotten them in all three games big time and a lot of times in the worst situations possible. Yeah, the the defense is, has really I think, and we've talked about it before. They, they've given up big plays, but I think they played well enough. The secondary I think has has had some issues. There were some pass interference calls that I don't think were pass interference. Uh, the one at the one that was called on Adam Jones was was an absolutely brutal call. And I think there was another one too. There was one in the end, end zone on Drake or Patrick where it didn't look like it looked like he bumped yeah. him as the ball was going by both of them. Um, may not have mattered. They were down in the scoring zone anyway, but still it was in the end zone, so it set them up in perfect situation to get another touchdown. Yeah, and, and I'd be interested to know if the NFL is, is interested in letting teams review pass interference plays. I, I just think if it, you're, it, it, you're, you're allowed to review so much. The, the problem is it's still a subjective call. That, that, that's the biggest issue with it. I think you can complain to the league about it. Well, I think, I think they are pretty much subjective, but if, I think if you watch back that play, that Adam Jones, th- that guy fell down. I don't think there is any subjectivity to that. There are some things and some pass interference calls that are going to be interpreted subjectively. But let, let roll the dice, and, and if you know if your guy comes over and says he he legitimately fell down, I think we should challenge the play. I mean, you're taking a risk anytime you challenge anything anyway, and there is some subjectivity in any challenge. But I, I do think with everything that you're able to review, pass interference penalties are so so big. In, in 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 the NFL because they're spot because fouls. they're spot fouls that yeah exactly so you know I, I think and, and again we we we've talked the defense can't give up big plays but but there were moments in that game that that, that tipped the scales one way or another um, and I I don't I don't want to kill the defense but the big plays do have to go away. Good part though was uh, was watching Carl Lawson, watching the pass rush. The one thing they wanted to really address on the defense in the offseason was the the pass rush, and they've I think they've taken a big step forward. Now, granted, I'm going to give it with a caveat that they were playing with a second string left tackle that that Carl Lawson simply dominated. But six sacks of Aaron Rodgers is still six sacks for a guy that's got great escapability, and when he did escape, as we just mentioned, was able to make some big plays. Um, I think that's a good sign moving forward because I do think that can be a consistent part of this defense is rushing the passer and really only having to do it most times most times with four guys. And Tony Romo, you can say what you want about him, and I don't think I'm as high as other people are, but he did bring up a good point in this instance is that the Bengals haven't been in a position this year except when they were up 21-7 in that game where teams have had to throw the ball. So they've, they haven't had an opportunity to really rush the passer because teams have had a lead or the game has been close enough where they haven't had to drop back and throw all of the time. The Ravens led from start to finish in their game. The Texans led and didn't really have a lot of faith in, in their quarterback and wanted to play a ball-controlled offense. So this was the first time that really the Bengals could pin their ears back because team this the, the Packers had to play catch-up. And it looked great. And some some folks are like, well, where Carl Lawson? You know, this would have been nice to see him in Week One, but he didn't really have a lot of opportunity right. to do it. So yeah, and Flacco, most of his passes in Week One were dump offs, quickly getting it out of his hands. Uh, same for Deshaun Watson; it was basically get it out of your hands as quickly as possible. It's hard to rush the passer in those circumstances, and they still got to Deshaun Watson a, a few times. Yeah. So, like the flip side of it, the offensive side, where the offense hasn't, and the flip of it is they've not created many big plays. Longest pass play is a fifty yarder to AJ Green, in which Andy Dalton threw it into triple coverage against the Texans. Uh, longest running plays, 25 yards. 
Um, and I, I think it goes back to people can think what they want right now about the John Ross draft pick because he's barely been on the field. Um, probably isn't going to play Sunday in Cleveland. He's not practiced yet this week, and this is being recorded Thursday afternoon. He didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. Those are the two main practice days. So I doubt we see him in Cleveland, and who knows if we see him the week after. Maybe they wait until after the bye to get him back. But they drafted him to create some big plays, not only for himself and the offense, but then have defenses tilt towards him, create big plays for other people. Um, this is an offense devoid of big plays, and I, I, I just got done writing a story about the need for that. Um, it's really hard, though, Jed, when really you have one big play guy in the arsenal, that's A.J. Green. Joe Mixon can kind of be that guy if you can get him in some space, and that's what Bill Lazor needs to try to do and talked about trying to do is get the running backs in the passing game in some space, let them create. But they can't run the ball, so they're in third and sevens, third and sixes a lot, not converting 30% of the time. If you don't create more big plays, I'm not sure how this offense digs itself out of a hole. It is why they drafted John Ross. Yeah, and I'm getting a sense of, of why you gave uh, Laser a C in your grades. I thought he deserved a, a little bit better, or at least on the curve, I thought he maybe deserved a little bit of a better I don't play on the curve, brother. <laughs> the iron fist over here yep. with, the, with, the, uh, with the grading scale. But you're, you're absolutely right. I think the, the question going forward, and you may have a sense of this, a better sense of this than I do, is, is John Ross's health, the only thing preventing him from being on the active roster? I think it is. I don't think the fumble... Look, the fumble was bad, but he's not the first guy to lose a forget, fumble. Forget about the fumble. I think I think Marvin and this offensive group don't necessarily think... I mean, because if, if you put him on, the, the odds are that, that a wide, another wide receiver becomes inactive on game day. Well, right now... So who should that be? Well, I... I think Tyler Boyd lucked out. I still think Tyler Boyd is very much in a doghouse. Um, and I think if John Ross had been healthy in Green Bay, I think you'd have seen Tyler Boyd be a scratch once again. Um, there just are some issues there that I'm not sure. He's going to have to really dig himself hard to get out of it. And it's disappointing because he really looked like he had a chance after last year to be a, a big cog in this offense. And right now he is simply not not hardly any cog in this offense. Right. I think he had maybe one catch against uh, the Packers. But I think a lot of people, if they're, if they're willing to do that with Boyd, and obviously he was already, he's already been inactive this year, and maybe that is the one-for-one one switch, but it's not going to be Alex Erickson. He does too much in this right, team. Right. And Ross isn't going to come in. I don't think the, the Bengals are in a position where they're going to want him to return kicks and punts. No, 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 because, I, no. I don't think they will either. Yeah. They, they want, you know, as opposed to the Browns, we'll get to that in a minute. They don't want to throw this rookie to the Wolves and have him be out there for, you know, 40, 50 plays a game on special teams and in the offense. So I think Ross maybe has some hurdles to overcome. If Boyd's the one for one, that's fine. But I think this team is is maybe reticent a little bit to put him on the active roster because all all the all that he's going to do is is play offense, even though his big playability is something they need. They 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 do. And and look, if this was a team that was able to average four point two yards per game per per carry on the ground, get in more third and twos, third and ones, third and threes, see the conversion rate on third down go up, I'd be all for that. But it's just not, and I don't know how that. How that changes? I don't. I don't see the offensive line magically getting better overnight to help the running game. Could could Mixon maybe help it with, with uh, with some of his escapability and running ability? Probably. And you saw some of that on on Sunday. There were times where he ran the ball uh, very well, made a guy miss, ran over a guy, dragged a guy for two or three extra yards. Th- those type of things. But until you can show consistently, you can get into it. 
you got to hit home runs or you're just not going to score, and they just don't have any home run hitters other than A.J. Green, and big teams are going to take him away down the field. Eifert doesn't look to be any closer to, nope. to being back. Brandon LaFell. Is not a big play guy. No, he's he's not a big play guy. Um, there was a lot made of the play down the stretch where Andy Dalton had, sort of panicked, had a little more time than I think he thought he did. Yeah, and scrambled scrambled to the right as opposed to scrambling up and wasn't right. able to look downfield. And Romo really got on his case for that. Romo also got on Aaron Rodgers' case, which I maybe well, is a bridge look, too far. Look, I, I've not heard, heard Tony do a game yet. All I've done is read it, and obviously I was in – in Lambeau's press box, so I didn't hear Sunday, and I had some friends say, oh, he was really on him. And I said to them, look, the guy knows what he's talking about, obviously, so I'm not going to diss that, and he's been predicting plays, and, and it sounds like it's been very good. It sounds like he's been very good as an analyst. But sitting in that spot when you can see above everything and see how plays develop, he ought to know better than to say, hey, it's a different game at ground level. It's a different game when there are guys coming in your face quicker than what they should be coming in your face. I'm not, again, Andy missed some throws. The scramble out to the outside just boggled my mind. When If he had just looked straight ahead, he probably could have run for 15 yards, let alone looked and seen some, right. stuff, some stuff developing. But I think the internal clock for him right now is, is off a little bit. And I really do think his eyes are more focused on the rush than on what's developing down the field. And, and that's part of part of the big play stuff. And I asked him this the other day in the press conference. Part of this is on him, too, to make some big plays. He missed a throw to LaFell in which he said he threw it away um, because LaFell did get bumped at the top of the route. But if you watch that end up developing – if he'd have been a little more patient, he had him. He crossed the corner's face with no safety help. Be more patient, let it develop, and then throw it. Um, you know, if you're throwing it away, okay, but you didn't need to throw it away at that point. The scramble out to the right, there are a couple other plays, uh, the intentional grounding penalty that, that he had. Some of this is on him, but um, I do think the rush is in his head right now big time. And here's another play that I'm sure you'll agree with. The timeout to start overtime. Insane. It didn't have the right personnel grouping out there. It, it was it, that, that's insane. That that to me was the, the 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 beginning of the end because you look at, or or maybe the, maybe the the nail in the coffin, I guess you could say, because you think, okay, well, the, you know, we're going to overtime. The Packers have all the momentum, but the Bengals have the ball. Maybe they can figure out a way to to get you know. Maybe they can tap into what they were doing earlier in the game. And then they call that timeout, and that was it. I mean, you could turn the game off. And, and for whatever reason, whatever personnel grouping they brought on the field, I think they brought an extra tight end in or brought a tight end in. It almost tipped the scales to where the Packers came with a run blitz, knowing runs coming, came with a run blitz, outnumbered them, and what did they do on first down? Dropped Joe Mixon for a loss of two yards. And then part of it, too, you had the third down, and I, I do want to explain this to people because people said, well, why would you throw a dump off to Tyler Croft? Right. He was looking for a pick route on the left side between Tyler Boyd and A.J. Green. Tyler Boyd ran into A.J. Green. Who do you think was probably to blame there? <laughs> I'll go with Boyd. Okay. Know, yeah. So so here's Andy looking at a route he liked. Obviously a coverage he liked. He's looking for 18 to come off the pick play or Boyd to come off the pick play. They collide. All right, now, uh-oh, that, that's where I was going. That's why he had to get out of his hands and dump it to Tyler Croft and hope he breaks a tackle, makes a first down. Everybody looks at it and goes, why would you throw it? That wasn't the intent of the play. And that's where... We're talking about Tyler Boyd being in the doghouse. My guess is who ran the wrong route? 83 ran the wrong route. Yeah, so just just disconcerting with that. And, you know, I, I don't know personnel grouping or, or really what what was going on, but but just that, just the idea of set calling the tone. a timeout. It set the tone. Yeah, it, it, it did. And, and 
and that wasn't something that that to be honest, that wasn't something that Andy Dalton should be doing at this point in his career. Like it should, it, that type of stuff shouldn't happen. Correct. And and it and it keeps happening, and that's that's where you get the negative energy. The the numbers are there, the stats are there. But there's a difference between going and playing the Cleveland Browns and throwing for 350 yards and three touchdowns and having the, this, the poise about you to look down the field, to be patient, to, to, to allow the chaos in front of you, to not cloud your judgment, and to make plays to win games. There were, there were moments and moments and moments in that game, in that second half, where plays needed to be made, and, and Andy just didn't make them. Yeah, and the flip side is you had Aaron Rodgers running for his life almost the entire game, and who ends up making the big plays? Aaron Rodgers. And again, I, it's a different stratosphere of quarterback. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Correct, and he showed exactly why in, in that game. Uh, spin this forward to, uh, to Sunday in Cleveland. You can see the game on, on Local 12. It's a CBS broadcast. Uh, Bengals, I guess the good part is that they have owned this series of late, not just with wins, but in really, honestly, total domination to a large degree on both both sides of the football. I do think this is a better Browns team, but it's also a Browns team now, Jed, that under Hugh Jackson is, is 1-18. Uh, um, has continued really since – it's almost been since that Thursday night game here in Cincinnati. Yeah. Honestly, that, that, that was actually kind of the high point since that point in time. This is a franchise that has gone completely backwards. They are in the middle of a rebuild, and I guess that's what you start to look for if you're a Browns fan, or what are the bright spots of the rebuild. I know there's not a lot of them. What's the middle of the rebuild for Cleveland? I mean, this has been, despite the one playoff appearance since since the franchise came back in 1999, I don't know what the middle of the rebuild is. This is this, It's always darkest before the dawn. It has been pitch black in Cleveland for years upon years. You look at their personnel, and they've got a lot of influx of young guys. They had a ton of draft picks, and as opposed to the Bengals, they had spots for all of those guys. You saw the the Bengals ended up cutting a few draft picks that they made. Uh, the, the Browns are not going to do that because they needed some talent. They, they bolstered their offensive line with the Bengal, Kevin Zeitler coming over, J.C. Treader, Joe Thomas, always consists of another first ballot Hall of Famer and really the only player the, the Browns have had since 1999 that's showed any type of consistent performance. I think he's played since 1999, too. It feels like 10,000 straight snaps he just went past, which is just absurd because you know he's played some of those snaps uh, very hurt. Very hurt, and they, they did an, I, I was reading an article about him where they've attempted to send a guy in, and they just stopped doing that. Some co- Because the Browns have had eight zillion coaches, sometimes <laughs> they try to send a player in for him, and he just says, no, 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 head back to the sideline. I'm good. So they, they have a bolstered offensive line for Deshaun Kaiser. Um, Isaiah Crowell, the running back, said he wants the ball more. He wants more carries. He wants more touches. He's in a contract year. He hasn't. He leads the team in rushing, but I, he has less than 200 yards on the ground. Duke Johnson leads the team in receiving, but he has less than I think 200 yards in the air. The, re- the receivers had eight drops against the Colts. Eight drops in the NFL. You might have a couple, but you ain't having eight drops in a game. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. Eight drops and four offensive pass interference calls. And I don't know if it's and Hugh Jackson after the game in Indy where they allowed Jacoby Brissett to score on four straight offensive possessions. Just think about that for a second. He said after that game that we're running the same routes that everybody is. I don't know why we're getting dinged for this type of stuff and and other people aren't. I think he's referring to the pick plays, and and I think the NFL is making a conscious effort to to kind of clamp down on those plays. But the Browns getting four offensive pass interference penalties called on their receivers and having eight drops on top of a quarterback who – 
needs the con- you know if if Aaron Rodgers receivers drop eight balls that's one thing if you've got a rookie back there who's got a strong arm but not much else he's the nuclear loose right now because he's kind of he all over know, the place. he doesn't know where it's going but he's he's got he's a talented kid he he the receivers that they have are there are a couple red zone turnovers that they've had this year where you can't tell if it's just a miscommunication if the receiver ran the wrong route or did Kaiser just throw that bad of a ball? So they, they've got issues in the passing game. And the one guy who really looked good in the preseason with Kaiser was uh, Coleman. And oh, yeah, he's, but he's, he's on, on IR. He's on IR. So now you've got you know the likes of Richard Higgins, Ricardo Lewis, who I'm told are real people. Um, you know, and Kenny Britt. Sammy Coates, I, I watched the game against Baltimore. Sammy Coates ran a route, and I, I saw a coach after he came off the field yelling at him. It, it looked like he, A, didn't want to run the route, and B, just doesn't want to be where he is. And if Pittsburgh gives up on a wide receiver, they're pretty much done. I mean, I, I don't know of a guy who's left Pittsburgh and had any real modicum of success at the wide receiver position. Mike Wallace, maybe, to a... But his career's gone south, too. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out maybe a top five of guys who have left the Steelers. That uh, Emmanuel any... Sanders, but that was okay. that was free agent. Well, yeah, I mean, that was a legit... He was in the, kind of the prime of his career, too, to some degree. Right. But, yeah, your point's well Yeah, yeah, so... And it wasn't really Pittsburgh giving up on him as much as it was a financial thing. Right, and he's, he's right. hurt. Uh, Coates is, is hurt, and he's had drops plague him throughout his entire career going back to Clemson. So th- this receiver situation, and Joku is developing at the tight end position, one of their first-round draft picks. Uh, he's got a couple touchdowns. DeValve, I think, is a serviceable tight end, so maybe they look more to, to those guys to uh, to make plays for him. Uh, but, but really, Duke Johnson's the leading receiver on this team, and he's a running back. He's a backup running back. Um I do want to touch on Deshaun Kaiser, though, because I, I did get a chance to actually sit and watch the fourth quarter of, of the game against the Colts um, while we were having lunch and waiting for the Bengals kickoff to start. Um, and he kind of led a comeback and, and made some pretty good throws, made some pretty good plays with his feet. Maybe one of those quarters that's a big part of the growing process. We'll find out if it was come this Sunday. But just seeing that, you can see there there is the ability there. And maybe that was just a big confidence boost for him to get his team back in the game. They didn't recover the last onside kick, and who knows, maybe he would have right. pulled it out if, if they had. But I think that if you're the Bengals, the scariest part is at least he had to get some confidence from doing that. He did have to get some confidence from doing that. I would agree. Um, they played well against Pittsburgh. He made some mistakes against Pittsburgh, but but in the opening game, and he had a good preseason. He looked he looked good, in the, and he won the job. I mean, he didn't win the job over really any great shakes of quarterbacks but he he did win the job so I think there is some some nuggets of confidence but you know it's the game was at the end looked good I don't know if the culture checked out or knew they had the game won or whatever but the game at the end looked a lot closer than the game was um, throughout the game and as I mentioned before you don't see too many defenses give up touchdowns in four straight possessions. You certainly shouldn't see defenses give up four straight touchdowns. To Jacoby Brissett. No. So that's a problem. It, and, and it's and outside of the offensive line, it's, it's a perfect storm for Kaiser. He, he, he's coming into the league. He doesn't have any receiver. He doesn't have a, his go-to receiver gets hurt, a guy who he's established some, some uh, rapport with. And, and the defense, as much as, as they've upgraded – they they just they, they let him down in, in that Colts game. The Colts shouldn't score 28 points in a game, let alone on four straight drives. 
Um, I haven't written this yet, but I'm going to write it for, for Saturday, one of the five things in the game that, that, that kind of is a key or, or, or a note to watch. Marvin Lewis has coached in playoff games. He's coached a lot of games. This, this honestly might be the biggest one. Um, you lose this game, who knows how where this season spirals out of control in what is maybe the last for Marvin Lewis. You win it, you got Buffalo coming in, chance to win that game. It's a winnable game. Pittsburgh has had some issues. Maybe you go into the bye week and come out of the bye week, you go to Pittsburgh, you get your season back on, on track. And that's why I talk about it. It's big for that. You lose to Cleveland, which has won one time in the last 20 games, basically. Where, where does your season spiral off to? The flip side, again, you win it. You can look back and go, all right, we were close against Green Bay. Blew the chance against Houston. We were a better team than Baltimore. All those things come into play. That's why, to me, this this is truly the biggest game he's coached. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. I mean, you know, coaches will say the next game is the biggest right. game. This is the next game, and it's everything you said. This this is an opportunity to to turn this to turn this season around. Everybody in the division lost last week. This is only the second division game the Bengals are playing. So. This is a this is a must win for them, and and I think Doug Pelfrey said it on Sunday night. He said, you know, when you're getting chased by a bear, you you just have to be faster than the slowest guy. And there are a lot of issues in this division. I think some of them got exposed overseas in London when Blake Bortles looked like he was about ready to be knighted by the Queen because <laughs> he had maybe his best game as a professional. Uh, the Steelers, I think, have some issues in that locker room with with all of the things surrounding the the anthem. And, yeah, and, and honestly, and Ben suddenly looks like a guy that really was considering retiring. He really does. And we've dug Roethlisberger's grave a time or two before, and and he's emerged from right. that. But you're not wrong. You're not wrong in that in saying that that this may be his his last gasp. He's played. He's played a long time, and he's taken a lot of hits. No doubt. And. This division is, is still very much up for grabs. This is a must-win game against a team that could very well not win a game this year. And and you've got Burfick back. You've got your leader, your defense back. I mean, the, the, the stars have to align in this game for the Bengals. Yeah, and that's another point I want to touch on is, is Vontez Burfick is back. Um, it's not like suddenly this has been a defense we touched on a minute ago that, that has played poorly. They've given up the big plays, and they have to rectify that. But it does give you another legitimate part on defense that can play a big role in maybe creating some turnovers. Um, the Bengals are going through an epic stretch, believe it or not, and my friend Jay Morrison from, from Cox News Group, the Dayton Daily News, dug this up. Bengals have gone 14 straight games without recovering a fumble. It's the longest streak in NFL history, which, which stunned wow. me. Stunned me. Um, and maybe Bontez Perfect is a guy who can create some of those things with, with, with the violence he, he plays with. Um, certainly getting him back is, is good. I don't know if it's, it's humongous because it's not like the defense needs to take a monumental step forward. But, hey, you're adding arguably your best defensive – your second-best defensive player behind Geno Atkins. But you're, you're arguably adding a Pro Bowl-level player to, to the defense, and that certainly is a good thing. Yeah, it's a great thing, and it, and it puts all the more pressure on this team to win the game because the defense hasn't played bad. You're adding another guy to the mix who is, like you said, a, a Pro Bowl linebacker when – his head's on straight when he's in the game between the lines. He, he he plays really well when he's not trying to take people's heads off. So that that again increases the um, the need to win this game. I think defensively for the Browns, uh, Miles Garrett hasn't been ruled out. No, actually he, he returned to practice on Thursday, and, and Hugh Jackson made a point. I saw it in, a, in the Cleveland Plain Dealer, um, and actually I put it up this morning on, on our uh, Behind Enemy Lines links. 
that it looks like he will play. Not not as a right. uh, an every down guy, but I think they will get him in the game, and and that gives them a little bit of a lift because he was their he was the first overall pick, not just their first pick, but the first overall pick yeah. in the draft. High ankle sprains are, are are hard to gauge. Yeah, and I'm 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 almost wondering whether or not it's a good idea to bring him back if you're the Browns. This may be a, a little rushed, but if he does get some snaps, that'll be good. Another first round pick on that defensive front. As I mentioned earlier in the game, the Bengals don't want John Ross to return kicks and punts. Jabril Peppers is a starting NFL safety and returning kicks and punts, and he's a rookie. So that gives you an indication. I, I, he's probably I, I don't I don't have the I don't have it in front of me. He's probably one of the only safeties returning kicks right. in the NFL. And he's a rookie. I mean, he—they're asking him to do a ton, and that just gives you an indication of how of how thin this roster is. Even though they've got some influx of talent, they're counting on this guy to to learn a very difficult position and, to learn and, and make plays in the kicking game. Yeah, on and top a, of it, and a lot of Cleveland fans are saying, "When are we going to see him on offense?" Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, when, why don't you just have him drive the bus and, and do everything? Yeah, and, and and you mentioned it. He actually is coming off a game against the Colts in which he did not play very well. In fact, there was some no. joking about. Why are your safeties playing 50 yards off the ball? Because that's what it looked like at times. I mean, they, they, they look like they had huge gaps in that defense. But this is, you're talking about a, a kid trying to learn a defense where, honestly, the parts around him aren't all that great either. No, and he did. He took some bad, bad routes on on some pursuit angles and, and different things. He, But I think his head is swimming. I think they should they should take a little off his plate to, to have him develop as a safety because he can be a, a big play guy, and this defense has not had a big play guy in years. So I, I just I don't think – a lot of people thought, based on Kaiser's performance against Pittsburgh, that they could go to Baltimore and give Baltimore a fight. They ended up turning the ball over five times. I just – I don't think this team is, is properly constructed to win games right now. <laughs> and I, and I, and Which I, is a big surprise to the Browns. No, but but yeah, and, and again, they are going through the rebuild, and there's obviously there's a disconnect between Hugh Jackson, it sounds like, in the front office and, and all those things on top of it. I do want to touch on this because Jeremy Hill has had some of his biggest games against the Browns in his career, um, but he is no longer probably the featured back. He did get the start on Sunday, but Joe Mixon got the overwhelming majority of carries, and probably we knew it was going to evolve all, evolve into that. Did you like the fact that it looked like Bill Lazor did a couple of things? One, which was target A.J. Green 13 times in 26 pass attempts. He caught 10. And really kind of define roles a little bit more in the running game, which is what we talked about going to that game. We thought they were going to try to do, and it's what they ended up doing. Yeah, I think it's. I think he, he did a great job. I think those were the two things that we said last week. This is what needs to happen. They need to get the ball to A.J. Green, and they need to figure out what's going on in that running backs room. I think Mixon deserves – to be the to be the feature back, he had moments. He had moments on that drive before he slipped on that third and one, where oh, he was great on that drive uh, up until that point. He carried him on that drive. He did. He he played really well, and you know Romo during the broadcast said even if he keeps his feet, that's kind of a broken play because there was a guy coming in. Uh, I think the a gap there to the left that would have blown the play up. But if you watch some of the cuts he made, you can't. You can't really say that that play would have been blown up. Correct. I, I mean, he made some runs out of nothing. He really did. You look at his raw numbers, 18 for 62, and they're not very good. No. Uh, but some of the runs he made to get the 62 I thought were really impressive. Now he needs to stop celebrating on every friggin' carry and get back to the huddle at some point. But, um, he, I mean, he really did. He made runs that made you go, all right, that's the guy. And, and the runs weren't he, – he turned a one-yard gain into a four-yard gain. 
And that's what we're talking about with this offense. They, you can't overlook the fact that even if it's a four-yard gain instead of a one-yard gain, that that doesn't matter. They don't have big playability. The more third and shorts you can get for this no team, doubt. the better. Absolutely. That's why you look at the third-down conversion rates, 30%. And, and you can base that a lot on just simply this, down and distance. And and it's not going to get better if you don't get in better down and distance circumstances. All right, uh, so the Bengals and Browns, somebody I think has to win, although I joked the other day that maybe, <laughs> oh, maybe, these, maybe these two teams deserve to go 0-14-2 and, and tie each other twice. Um but somebody in theory has to win this game. I'm leaning the Bengals' way because they are a better roster. They they have dominated. Um, they have. I mean, you could again ifs and ors. Your record is what your record is, but they could very well be two and one. They're much closer to winning than Cleveland is to winning. Oh, I mean, I don't think that's that's even a question. I think they they get off the snide this week. Um, I think it's I think it's going to be. I, I I really think it's going to be another big game. For the Bengals, they've had big games in the past against the Browns. I think it's. I, I think they can get 31. I think. I think it can be. I think it's going to be like 31-10, 31-17. Could be one of those late flourishes from Kaiser where he gets them to within a possession or two. But everything that we've talked about in the last however many minutes is just. It just does not add up for for this Browns team. Uh, and. Maybe down the road they they figure out a way to get a win against somebody, but it's going to be another long year for them. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at a one-win, two-win. In some cases, depending on they're going through a stretch of semi-winnable games based on who they're playing in record, you don't win something during this little stretch. I think the Jets are coming up, if I'm not mistaken. They just got done playing. Indy were actually favored. There is a chance of going 0-16 after going 1-15, and that's saying something. And I think Hugh Jackson is is what this team needs, but he the, the results are not going to come, and, and – the problem with the Browns over the years is they've they've just had so many times where they've said, okay, we're going to get rid of this coach, we're going to bring a new one in, and they do that so often that it leads to certain things like this. They have so many personnel moves in the front office where you bring in new philosophies, and now it's Paul DePodesta in the front office who is a baseball guy. For yeah, he's looking time. for five tool players. They don't exist in, in football, so I think they really just brought him in because of what it would mean for the Indians, because he was part of that Oakland A's run when they won twenty in a row. The yeah, I mean, he's an analytics guy, and that's what they they brought him in to try to be a new wave of analytics in football. We'll see if it works out. It's not it's not been a great marriage to this point, but it's still so early in the process. Yeah, and I just I hope that trust the process is the is the common phrase and for a lot of different teams and and they've got enough draft picks to sink a ship in the next couple of years. I hope that that Hugh Jackson gets a chance to sort of figure this thing out because I think he's a guy that can do it. I'll go Bengals 26-13. So I think we both see a comfortable win for the Bengals, which uh, probably doesn't bode well for the Bengals. All right, one last thing to do. We started this last week. It is our three-team seven-point teaser of the week. We're both 0-1. Um, the one that got me last week, I went 2-1 in my teaser, but you got to hit all three to win it or Vegas doesn't pay you. Um, I took the Chargers getting teased up uh, some more points, and they did not cover against Kansas City, so that blew my teaser up. Uh, you didn't even come close. Did you get one? I got one. You You won Jacksonville and... What was the other one you won? I teased uh, somebody up to nine. Maybe Washington? I think you teased Detroit. Maybe that's what it was. I did up tease to Detroit. 10, up to they, 10. Almost, they almost went outright. Yep. So you went two and one last week. I went one and three. Lost Pittsburgh. Um, I lost the Jet. The Jets beating the, the Dolphins. I didn't think the Jets could, could win a game this year. And then I ended up winning the uh, Saints beat the uh, beat the uh, Panthers outright. outright. So I went one and two, you went two and one. We'll keep track of total games one as tiebreakers, but obviously winning a, a teaser is more important than winning. And we said this is for a premium case of beer, is that right? 
We'll have to see. We'll have to see uh, how the how the year proceeds to determine what that is. All right, you want me to go first this sure. week? You went first last week. All right, here's what I'm going to do, and I'm doing what I always tell people: don't do in teasers. Because <laughs> what you do is you'll see a team that's a touchdown favorite, and you go, "I'll just tease them. All they got to do is win the game, right?" That, that sounds so simple. That's what happened to me with Pittsburgh. Well, guess what? I'm taking three teams where all they have to do is win the game. I'm going to tease Green Bay, the Thursday night game, down to down to a pick'em at seven. I think it ended up at seven and a half, but it was seven the line I took, so they're a pick'em. Dallas is a six against, against Chicago. Chicago. Dallas is a six-point favorite. Um, I'm drawing a blank on who the hell they play. They play the Rams. Thank we'll, you very much. We'll see that game yeah. in mind. Uh, so they're getting a point, but basically, unless it ends in a tie, I have to win that game. And I'm taking Atlanta, which is a six-and-a-half-point favorite in its game. I'm taking them tees down to a half a point. So again, all three just basically just got to win a game. Atlanta has. Yeah, I don't know. They got somebody. Okay. I'm drawing Atlanta's a blank on got that. Somebody. I just know I wrote down Atlanta. Okay. I should know off the top of my head, and I just don't. Uh, my team, my uh, my teaser, Patriots are. Um, I'm taking them minus two at home against Carolina. I, I you know, so I, I looked at that game and, and I thought long and hard. I, I think New England's got real defensive issues now. Cam Newton has not played very well for no. Carolina. Uh, they're having a hard time in the receiving game. They're talking about getting Christian McCaffrey more involved as a receiver. I think he had a hundred yard receiving game. I, I don't know close. how they can get him more involved. He, he as a receiver, I'm talking about. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, he touches the ball a ton for them in, in the early going. I just, I, I think Carolina has seen a ghost. I just think that team is, um, I think that team's going to struggle. By the way, Atlanta year. plays Buffalo. Okay, Atlanta plays Buffalo. Okay. Yeah, and I'm just. My fear is I, New England's defense. We saw that Houston offense. It was a, it was a mess on that third. Now they had a bunch of time. Got a couple guys back, all of those things. But a rookie quarterback going into New England, doing that, and I would say, okay, that might be isolated, except for the fact that Breeze threw for almost 400. What Kansas City did in the opening game against them, I think that defense just has real issues. That's the only reason it scared me away, but New England just doesn't lose there. They just don't. Oh, wait a minute, they did lose earlier this year there. They don't lose twice there. (laughs) They don't don't lose twice there. Wait a minute, they almost lost twice there, but they haven't for Tom Brady. (laughs) But they didn't because they have Tom Brady. And if this was a a touchdown line, the line is nine. I wouldn't bet it on the line. But if you can tease it to two and and Tom Brady can pull some magic if they need it on the last drive, I think think that's why I, I took it there. I'm taking the Saints plus four on the road at Miami. Miami's dead to me. Picking against Miami. Actually, that's in England. That's it. That's it. So oh, you're it's in England. Yes. Yeah, so you get actually the, the you get Ooh. the you get the neutral field to that. Yes. Okay. Well, I, I I forgot that that's where it was. So it'll be a neutral field. So that's even better for you. You were going to take them at Miami. Now you get them on the neutral with that. Yeah. With that number. I, I think taking I think taking it. Uh, I think taking games in London. Those games can be wonky, but I'll stick with it. And then I'm going to take the Rams plus 13 at Dallas. I think the Rams, with, with Sean McVay, the Miami University grad, I think they're figuring out a way to play some good offense. And giving them 13, here's another scheduling quirk that's kind of interesting. The two Thursday night teams from last week play the two Monday night teams from this week. Dallas plays the Rams, and then the Cardinals play the Niners. So not only do the Rams have a long week, but Dallas has a short week. So I think 13 is is within the realm of possibility for the Rams. Yeah, their offense has been fine. They've played where I, the, the fact that San Francisco scored 39 on them scares me away from anything. But let's face it, Dallas hasn't been great offensively. They were great in, in bits and pieces. Dak Prescott really bailed them out on, on Monday night. Uh, that's that's a pretty good play on your part. I, Aaron, I like Aaron that. Aaron Donald, get, he'll get to the quarterback a couple times. Maybe he's in the conversation with Geno Atkins is the best Defensive tackle. They ended up getting their his contract situated in uh, with the Rams. Wade Phillips going back to 
he's been everywhere, so I don't know if going back to Dallas means anything. And you realize the one game you're going to lose out of this is going to be New England, right? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I, I think the I, I just I don't like Carolina. I really, really don't. No, I, I think that's fair. That's a fair way to go. All right. So there's our uh, there's our teaser for the week. There's our Bengals pick of the week, and uh, we appreciate everybody listening. We'll be back next uh, next week late as the Bengals get set to take on the Buffalo Bills. That stage, you got to hope they're one and three heading into that Buffalo game. If not, who knows what changes we might see come bye week, which comes after Buffalo. For Jacob Musi, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for listening to today's Skinny Podcast, the Bengals edition.